0: All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and as always, I am joined by Jackie Mitchell. Good morning. Jackie, how are you today? I'm doing great. Doing all right? Yeah. So I think it was towards the end of August, right? I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about this. Towards the end of August, we oh. had a women's night mm-hmm. at 514 Church called Rooted. Mm-hmm. How was that?
1: It was amazing. We had a great time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was like I, I saw. I mean, I wasn't invited, obviously, but I right. saw bounce houses. I saw confetti.
1: Crazy. What crazy was time. what was
0: the theme of this night? Joy. The theme was joy. Yeah, it
1: was very bright, very colorful. Yeah, it was a good time. Was it joy- joyful? Was it joyful? I would say it was joyful. I, I think we hit. I hit. We hit the nail on the head. I think we yeah. did it.
0: <laughs> so do you uh, do you recommend these gatherings? If maybe we have listeners who oh, are in my the gosh. area, women, when because we're we're trying to do this like twice a year, yeah. I think maybe more.
1: Oh yeah. I think it's so fun. And I also think it's a great, it's a great time. I think it's hard as an adult woman, once you kind of get into your routines to like make new friends, maybe in the church. So maybe if like you've been coming just for like a year or two and you're like, I really want to meet more women, but I don't know how it's kind of feels very like, like people know who they know. I think it's a great way to meet new people. Like I, I always meet a ton of new women in that environment and yeah, those
0: events great. and it's fun. I really like it. That's great. Well, so uh for for any listeners out there who who maybe women who've never experienced this before if you're mm-hmm. in the area next time this is Yeah, this we is do it twice a year. we we definitely recommend it. Should, Amazing. It's always always a fun time. It really is. So I hear.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't know. But it's yeah, probably but the best event we've ever done. Wow. So sorry.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh today we're going to go through Genesis 22. It's a very very important chapter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh before we do that, Jackie because we were talking about this this women's night,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you I've heard you make jokes before about going to women's conferences and like women's yeah. Bible studies growing up. Yeah. What's the book that you study when you go to a women's conference or a women's Bible study?
1: Well, there's two Ruth yeah. or Esther.
0: Ruth, Ruth, or you Esther. Get Ruth or Esther
1: about every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Which are great books. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, but it's just kind of funny because it's, it's like, like that's certainly not the only book of the Bible you yeah. can do if you're a woman.
1: It's just like women's <laughs> conference. Like yeah. Yeah, I was in a I was in a, a traveling like worship team in college that I led. Yeah. It was all girls, and we got hired to just do women's events. And so we'd hear basically Ruth or Esther like every other weekend. So you're well schooled like, on Ruth and Esther. That's all we heard. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, hopefully, you know, at our our events, it's a little more varied than that. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Okay, yeah. good, <laughs> good. All right. Well, uh, uh, as always, if you are enjoying this podcast, please give us a five star rating, drop a review share with a friend,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, I don't want to act like we're, we're, uh, we're, we're bragging, which I have done on this podcast before. You have, But I do think <laughs> that what we're doing is like unique, Yeah, you know, and not necessarily because I think that we're super smart, but I think that it's unique because I don't know if there's people, very many people who are like crazy enough or nerdy enough to go through the Bible chapter by chapter, the way that we're doing it right now. I'm sure that yeah. other people have done it. Yeah but not very many people do it. Mm-hmm. So, uh if you really want to start to to put the threads of the Bible together and start to understand the the way that all this is connected and the the depth of meaning, uh this is a really good resource. And so if you have people in your life who you think would benefit from this or if you just think that they would be interested or like it, uh please share it with them. Mm-hmm. Um I you know, they they say that when people come to church for the first time, it's almost always because someone invites them. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing is true of podcasts. Like if someone mm-hmm. is listening to a podcast and, and you know, and respect them and love them, and they tell you like, this is good. I think that you'll like it. People will probably listen. Yeah, that's so true. So I think that's probably the best way to to kind of spread the word on this on, on your socials or just to personally share with a friend or 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 a family member. And so with all that being said today, very important chapter, kind of an iconic story in the Bible, Genesis 22 which is the sacrifice, or maybe more specifically the near sacrifice of Isaac, mm-hmm. who's the promised son that we've been waiting for all this time. He's finally born. He's here. And then there's this strange chapter where it seems like God's telling Abraham to sacrifice his son, right? Yeah. And this doesn't sit well with people always. Mm-hmm. And I think that what what we're gonna get into today is that uh, what I'll call kind of the typical topical Uh, a little bit of a lazy interpretation of the story that says that God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son and isn't that so barbaric of Mm. God is actually a lazy reading of this. And and what's happening here is very deep and it connects all the way to Christ in what the church fathers would would say and what I would agree in like a very specific way. Mm. And so what, what we see happen in this story is really gonna inform the messianic promise that, that ends up being fulfilled in Jesus. And so like all the stuff that we've read so far uh, um, there's, there's depth to this story uh, that, that is somewhat unseen on the surface. And so uh, this is going to be an episode on the not sacrifice of Isaac.
2: Mm. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's do a little bit of a recap. Sure. Where, where where have we been? Where where have we come to now? Last chapter was was Genesis 21. Mm-hmm. Gone all the way through the story of Abraham. And so basically we left off with Isaac being born to Abraham and Sarah. Yeah. Why is that a big deal?
1: Well, because we've been waiting for yeah. him for like 10 <laughs> chapters, it feels like, right. right? Yeah.
0: So we've seen the ups and the downs. We've seen Abraham wait. We've seen yeah. he and Sarah not wait mm-hmm. and the issue with Hagar and Ishmael. Yeah. And uh, then what we saw last time was that once Isaac is weaned, which in the culture kind of means that, uh, you know, Isaac is strictly under the care of the mother until weaned and then kind of gets to go and be with the men. Mm -hmm. And once he's weaned, uh, Sarah sees Ishmael, who's the son that that Abraham has had uh, with Hagar. And she sees Ishmael laughing and carrying on. The translation was, she sees him mocking. Mm. But I think that actually a better translation, I mean, it's the word laugh. Mm -hmm. So she sees him laughing And the reason that that upsets her is because she starts to see that as a threat, Mm -hmm. right? Isaac's name is laughter and he's the true seed. And God has made this clear over time. So Ishmael is blessed by the covenant and God also makes that very clear, but he's not the carrier of the covenant. He Mm -hmm. is not the promised seed. The promised seed is gonna come through Abraham and Sarah. And that's Isaac, whose name is laughter. So when Sarah sees Ishmael laughing, she interprets this as him competing with Isaac, Mm -hmm. whose name is laughter as the seed of the promise. So she and Abraham actually end up expelling Hagar and Ishmael mm-hmm. uh, from, from from their, you know, from their camp. And God meets them when they're dying in the wilderness. He opens Hagar's eyes, gives her a well to drink from, and he saves Ishmael once again and promises that he's going to receive the blessings of the covenant. So mm-hmm. that salvation is going to become very important uh, in in this story moving forward. But all of that symbolism that we see there, water, life, seeing. Resurrection because they're dead in the wilderness and God raises them back to life. All of that is symbolically significant in that strange story that we read last week. So then uh, Abraham goes back into Gerar, mm-hmm. which is the land of the Philistines, which we said were, are technically Egyptians based on yeah. the table of nations. And Abraham continues his ministry. He makes a treaty with Abimelech and Abimelech's commander, Faikal. And Yahweh is being worshiped and glorified in a foreign land mm-hmm. because of God's faithful prophet and priest, Abraham. And so you start to see the promises coming together. Remember, I'll, I'll make a nation out of you. He has his seed now. I will bless you. Abraham and his family are definitely blessed. And then through you, all the nations will be blessed. Well, here are the nations being blessed. Mm-hmm. And so you start to see shadows of these covenant promises coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. And so Abraham has his promised son, Isaac, and the potential rival seed Ishmael has been sent away. He's been blessed, mm-hmm. but he's been sent away. And so everything should be good, right? You'd think. It's gonna be smooth sailing from from here on out. For the rest of the Bible. The story's coming yeah, together. We're good. Uh, and so what we're gonna see today is is not, not so, mm. right? There's gonna immediately, something's gonna happen that's gonna test all of this. And so before we get into the actual scripture, the first verse that we're going to read, the first sentence is going to say that God tests Abraham. Yeah, and so it's important, I think, for us to talk about what this means to be tested, right? Mm-hmm. Before, because I think people have an idea of what that means, and maybe the biblical understanding of a test is a little bit different, a little bit more nuanced. And so, Jackie, when you when you think of of God testing us in a popular framework, like the, yeah. the way, what, what do you think people think of when they think? that God's testing us.
1: I think people look at it like God's waiting to like catch you in something. Right.
0: I think that's exactly right.
1: Like maybe like, uh, I'm going to set this trap and it's going to look like he's doing the right thing. And then he, he does something wrong and then, ha, Mm
2: -hmm. like, I
1: gotcha. Now, now you're done for, which is like, just bizarre.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like when you think of like setting a trap for an animal. Yeah. And part of the what we think is that, you know, they're not smart enough to not go into yeah, the like trap. Yeah. Like here's something right?
1: enticing and yeah. they don't understand yeah. that they'd get caught. That's kind of how we think of it. Yeah.
0: And so I think that we kind of think that when God tests us or when God tests Abraham, this is what he's doing. Mm. He's setting a trap
1: mm.
0: for us so that he can catch us being unfaithful. Yeah. We even look at um, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in that way. Right? Yeah. Like he put that tree there and everyone, I have meetings with people all the time where they're like, well, why would he put that tree there? Mm. Right? And it's almost like he shouldn't have done that. Mm. Now, mind you, people are speaking about God and what God should and shouldn't do. But that really is the mindset that we have. He shouldn't have done that because that's not fair.
2: Mm.
0: It's like a trap that he set for them. Mm -hmm. And so they eat from it and now death and sin is in the world and that's a bad thing. And maybe they shouldn't have eaten from it. But why did he do that in the first place? Right? And so the same thing is going to be true here. And so there's a Bible project video called The Test mm-hmm. where Tim Mackey, I think in six minutes goes through the biblical theology of God, God's test. Wow. And so he's going to do a better job of explaining that than me. But, but I think this is, this is the crux for my understanding. So like you said, uh, God is not trapping us. hmm but the reason, the reason uh, or the way that you come to that conclusion is, is you have to answer what I think is perhaps the question of the Christian life. And I think that maybe the question of the Christian life when it comes to a relationship with God is do you believe that he's good? Mm. Do you believe that he has your best interest in mind? Do you believe that the way that he's moving in your life is for that reason? Does he want you to flourish? Mm. Is he looking to bless you? So when we face a test, when something comes up that, that quote unquote tests our faith, if God is good, then that test is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to be strengthened. It's an opportunity to actually trust God, right? When in like uh, sports metaphors or military metaphors, or I think there's a boxing metaphor that's like, everyone has a plan until they get hit in the face. Mm-hmm. The idea is that life can be pretty easy as long as there's no trials and tribulations and you're kind of doing what you want to do. But then as soon as it all hits the fan, well, now it's, now it's, now it's trouble. Mm-hmm. And uh, the moments of really showing faith and trust in God are most explicit in, in the moments where there's trial Yeah. For in sure. the moment that, that there's testing. And if God is not good, then maybe the test is a trap.
2: Mm.
0: If he wants to catch you, if he wants to judge you, if he wants to damn you to hell, then yeah. Then then maybe when he puts tests in front of us mm-hmm. that are going to, you know, really like quote, I mean, quite literally test our mettle, then if he's not good, then yeah, maybe that is what he's doing. Mm. Right. But that's the question. That's the question of faith.
1: Yeah. I think the concept of thinking that God's trying to trap us into being unfaithful goes so far against what we've seen him command everyone to do so far, which is to be faithful. Right. So if that's his goal and he wants us to be faithful, mm-hmm. if, if our understanding is that he's trying to trap us into being unfaithful, it's like working directly against what he's asking us to do. Yeah. It doesn't even make sense.
0: Right. Right. And, and we, we, yeah. we, we take that understanding all the way through to the cross Yeah. where it's like, we think that, Jesus dies on the cross because God actually wants to kill us. Yeah. But kills Jesus instead. Mm-hmm. And it's like that is not
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: it's to fundamentally misunderstand God. Yeah. yeah and sure. remember that the scriptures are a witness. So so it's witnessing who God is. And so in these stories we're supposed to learn about who he is. And like you said, we've been learning all along that he's gracious, he's long-suffering, mm-hmm. he's merciful. He meets every rebellion and every opportunity with grace and mercy and opportunities Mm -hmm. of confession and repentance and second chances and all of, all of these things that don't go along with this idea that he just wants to trap us. Yeah. Right. And so uh, uh, we're not the only ones who can feel this way, right? This has been the problem throughout the biblical story so far. Mm -hmm. So we mentioned the tree in the garden uh, where God forbids them from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that is a test. And the test is that, you know, humans are supposed to partner with God and with his wisdom, with his knowledge of good and evil, with his understanding of his creation, they're supposed to rule the world on his behalf. Mm -hmm. So that wisdom, that knowledge of good and evil, I think is going to be given to the humans as they see God, as they learn who he is and how Mm -hmm. he is. And then they emulate him in the world. Um, uh, and, and he wants to give us that because he's good. Mm-hmm. And he wants us to live along the grain of the world that he created, which will, which will lead to blessing. But they fail this test because they don't trust him. Mm-hmm. This is what the serpent says to her, right? He says to Eve, uh, God said, you're going to die if you eat that. You're not going to die. Yeah. He's withholding that from you. Yeah. Just take it. And so she does because there's not that trust there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And again, it's not just God said something, we believe him. It's what do we believe about God? Mm-hmm. If you if you believe in God the way that we're kind of talking about right now, then uh, His intentions for withholding something like that fruit is good, yeah, because He's good, yeah. Uh, but that's not exactly the way that they interpret it. So they take it, they eat it, and uh, everything's a mess after that, right? Absolutely. And God meets them in that mess with grace, but now everything is a mess. Uh, because of the way that they respond to the test that's put in front of them. And their response is a lack of trust in -hmm. the goodness and the intentions of God. So then we get to Genesis 12, someone pass a test. Yeah. And that's a test. Mm -hmm. And what does it say that Abraham does? He goes. And so he passes the test because he trusts God. If Mm -hmm. God is telling me to do this, I trust that he's good. And so Mm -hmm. it's not easy. It's not comfortable, but I'm going to step into that. And so he's blessed. Now he is not blessed as some kind of contractual reward where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you listened to me, you were obedient. So now I'm going to give you something good. Uh, it, he's blessed because he walks with God, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. is the heart of all blessing. And as long as you believe that God might have bad intentions for you, you're not going to walk with him. Yeah. You're not going to trust right. him, but something about Abraham believes and and trusts God. And so, passes that test and God promises Abraham and Sarah a child. And what we saw is that there's a moment in this uh, season of faith and waiting where they fail that test.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right. What do they do? They take matters into their own hands. They're not satisfied to wait for what God says is true. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Sarah has Abraham sleep with Hagar.
0: Right. And so there's significant fallout from yeah. that, right? Like, it's not that God's plan is now railroaded. Right. He's still moving in the promises that he proclaimed, but now there's 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 a mess on their hands.
1: Well, we have yet to see in the biblical narrative, a story where someone says, God, I think I'll figure this out on my own. Yeah. And then things go like really smoothly from right. that choice. <laughs> right, you know? exactly.
0: So, um, you know, I'm not saying that it's easy to trust God in this way. Right. Because like we said, Abraham's a hundred when they mm-hmm. have their, their first child, Isaac with, with Sarah. Uh, but, what are the intentions of God?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Is he good? Do you trust him? And in that moment, they, they didn't. And God's gracious, he moves forward with everything. And you start, and you see Abraham continuing to be faithful in all kinds of other ways. And that's why he's held up as, as you know, maybe the, the key patriarch of biblical mm-hmm. faith. But uh, even, even he's not perfect. And so here in Genesis 22, God's gonna test Abraham right at the heart of the covenant promise. So the question of this story and what we're going to dig through is, does Abraham trust God? Mm. God's going to ask him to do something crazy. Does he trust him? And I'm going to even try to get a little bit into the mindset of Abraham and see like, what does he think is going to happen Yeah. when God asks him to do this and he starts to walk down that path? Yeah. So it's kind of an extended intro, but I think that that's important for us to understand because right away it's going to talk about the test. Yeah. So let's do Genesis 22, one through two.
1: Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you.
0: All right. So there's the test. Tested Abraham. And one of the what I think is so beautiful about the Bible is is so much is going on just in this verse. It seems like this is a pretty simple Okay, God showed up and he said this thing and Mm -hmm. uh, that's it. Let's go on in the story. But there's a lot going on here. And so basically it says sometime later. So after Isaac is given to Sarah and Abraham, after Abraham's been living uh, with the Philistines under a covenant with the king, after Ishmael has been sent away, after all of that, now God tests Abraham. So some period of time has passed and God tests Mm -hmm. Abraham. And this is the test. Uh, Abraham has a son who he loves. Mm -hmm. And this son is the seed of the promise. Now Abraham's already lost a son.
1: Yeah, now Isaac is for all intents and purposes, his only son. Right,
0: because Ishmael has been sent away. Yeah, And so he's gone. Mm -hmm. It says he's being raised in the desert. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so now God asks for Abraham to sacrifice his other son, the son of the promise, Mm -hmm. the seed on a mountain. And so everything that God has promised so far and everything he's laid out in the future is contingent upon Isaac. And so if Isaac dies, if Isaac is gone, then the promise dies and the promise is gone, Mm -hmm. right? So this is a big test. We have to remember that if God is truly good, which is hard for us to believe at times, then he has our deepest blessings and happiness in mind. Mm -hmm. And so God shows up to test Abraham and he calls out to Abraham and Abraham says, here I am. Mm This is going to become a a paradigmatic statement when God shows up to his prophets, to his chosen people, right? So we see in uh, Genesis 31, uh, God appears to Jacob in his famous dream Mm -hmm. and Jacob's response to the appearance of God is here I am. Uh, When God calls Moses from the burning bush, Moses responds to this call with here I am. Mm -hmm. When God calls Samuel, it's so at night, Samuel has no idea what's going yeah, on. But, he actually thinks the priest that he's under, Eli, is the one talking yeah. to him. But every time he's called by God, he says, here I am.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then when God calls Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, which is the famous passage about receiving the call of God, where the cherubim puts a hot coal on his mouth, that's something mm-hmm. is like a crazy scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he calls Isaiah, Isaiah says, here I am. Mm-hmm. And then when, when the, in the New Testament, even when the resurrected Christ appears to Paul, he blinds him on his way to Damascus and he tells him to go meet a man named Ananias. And then God appears to Ananias in a vision and, uh, and Ananias responds to this appearance with here I am. Yeah. So it's kind of this idea of like, put your yes on the table. And then figure out what God wants for
1: you. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Because he they don't wait to say, here I am, once God says, here's what you're going to do. And he's like, okay, here I am, I'll do that. Right, exactly. All he says is Abraham's name. Here, here I am.
0: Here I am. What do you want? Mm-hmm. What are you asking from mm-hmm. me? So then he takes Abraham to, or he tells Abraham to take uh, Isaac to Mount Moriah. Mm-hmm. And so the significance of Mount Moriah um, I think you have it in front of you yeah. Will you read Second Chronicles three one.
1: Yeah. Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father, David. It was on the threshing floor of Aruniah, the Jebusite, the place provided by David.
0: Yeah. So this is Second Chronicles. This is about when Solomon builds the temple. It's yeah. a long time from now. But yeah. where is the temple Mount of Jerusalem located? Mm. It's Mount Moriah, mm-hmm. right? So, so... So Mount Moriah is where the temple, the house of God, is going to be. That's where God calls Abraham to take Isaac That's right cool. now. Uh, and so, um, you know, there's like there's a lot of symbolism here. This is a very, very important story for all these reasons. He calls him. He says, "Here I am," which is the 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 right response for a prophet of God. He tells him to leave Egypt again, to leave the Philistines, mm-hmm. and to go to the promised land, which mm-hmm. is Mount Moriah, which is in Canaan, uh, which will become Jerusalem. And so it's kind of like a, another little mini exodus, yeah. right? Now Abraham's going to go back, so it's just a shadow, it's just a picture. Um, and so all of this is very cool, but then he tells him to sacrifice his son.
1: Yeah, it's like okay, cool. <laughs> okay, I'll go there. Oh, my son, he's coming along. Great, great. Yep. Oh, oh, never mind. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so how does Abraham respond to this, and what does Abraham mm. think is going to happen? Mm-hmm. So let's let's do Genesis twenty-two, three through five.
1: Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you.
0: Yeah, some some weird phrases happening here, right? Yeah, for sure. So the question is, why is Abraham willing to do this? Hmm. And so here's the, the theory that I, that I want to put forth. And I actually do think that this is correct. So mm-hmm. this is not the only interpretation, but I've, I've studied and read a lot of different understandings of what's happening here. And based on biblical evidence and uh, the, the history of church interpretation, I think this is the right story. So, so this is kind of what's, what, what's been put in front of me that I just want us to consider. So Abraham is a faithful priest mm-hmm. of God, mm-hmm. right? What we're going to see from the priesthood is that one of their main jobs is sacrifice, Yeah, right? And sacrifice is, there's going to become, and we're going to see this be developed here. There's going to become an element of sacrifice that's substitutional, Mm -hmm. right? Where sin brings death. Who should sin bring death upon? The sinner. (laughs) The sinner. Right. And so what we're going to see is like, we're going to get to this whole coded system of sacrifice where instead of death coming upon the sinner, you take the life of an animal and that life covers Mm. the death that's brought about by sin and therefore God and the people can continue to be in each other's presence. And this is, uh, this is grace. And so what I want to put forward here is that I think that Abraham understands the true nature of sacrifice Mm. and it has been said to him over and over again that Isaac would save the world. Yeah. Right that Isaac would be the one to bless the nations who are apart from God in sin, that he would bless the Gentiles. And so I actually think that what Abraham believes in this moment is that he's going to take Isaac to Mount Moriah. He's going to sacrifice him. And that sacrifice is going to be the atonement for the world.
2: Mm.
0: And I don't think that that's a stretch, but I know that the, the, the atonement, idea that we have in modern Christianity has not been fully developed here at this point in the Bible, Mm -hmm. obviously. But what's been the problem? I mean, sin leads to death. That's clear all the way through the story. Mm -hmm. And Isaac has been promised to save the sinners. Yeah, That's what Isaac's role is. And so I think it makes sense that Abraham thinks that's what's going to happen on this mountain. So then the question is, well, but then is it still okay for him to sacrifice his son, even if Mm. that's what he thinks is going to happen? And that's where the last sentence that we read is important. He said, he says to his servants, Mm -hmm. stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Yeah. Talking about- Huge. He's not taking anybody else. Yeah. He's talking about him and Isaac. Yeah. So he says to his servants, we will go worship and then we will come back to you. And in the Hebrew- you don't have to repeat the we pronoun, right? Okay. Like, just like in English, you could say, sure. We will worship and then come back to you. Yeah. And it's implied that that means we. Yeah. But you don't have to say it. But in the Hebrew, it does say it. It's emphasized. It's
1: emphasized on purpose.
0: We will go and then we will come back. And so, you know, one of the things once you start to get familiar with the Bible is you have to let scripture interpret scripture.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's a passage in the book of Hebrews that talks about this very story. And he yeah. says, that Abraham took Isaac up to the mountain because he believed God would raise Isaac from the dead.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. So think about the two things I just said. What does Abraham think is about to happen? He thinks that Isaac is about to be the atoning sacrifice to the world and then he's gonna be raised from the dead.
1: Well, I know what that sounds like. <laughs> what does it sound like? It sounds like Jesus.
0: So this is Christological.
1: Absolutely. right.
0: This story is one of the clearest, most explicit Christological examples that we have in, mm-hmm. in the Bible, I think. And one of the reasons is because what I think what Abraham believes because he trusts God, yeah. what he believes is gonna happen is exactly what Jesus will do one day. Mm. Sacrificed for the sins of the world and then raised from the dead and resurrection. Um. So now we're going to get into some of the Christology of this. So let's do Genesis 22, six through eight.
1: Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together.
0: Yeah. So let's stay on the theme of Christology. What gets placed on Isaac? Wood. Right.
1: Mm.
0: So what gets placed on Jesus?
1: The cross. And We're he sh- carries it too. It
0: would, wood, yeah. he carries, right? And so again, like this is, in my opinion, this is explicitly Christological. For sure. This is the foreshadowing of the cross. This yeah. is what Abraham thinks is going to happen. And you, you can even see the themes in terms of wood and uh, so, so there's these amazing parallels. You you can accuse Christians and people do sometimes of being overly creative in our Christological interpretation of the Old Testament, uh, but come on,
1: yeah, this one.
0: I mean, you can see this yeah, here, right? Absolutely. Like, and 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 the author of Hebrews in the very early church, that's what they thought was happening too, right? Right, and right. this is what all the church fathers believe about this story, and so. Um, so, so, so here they go up, up to the mountain. Now it's important to understand that Isaac is not four years old here, which mm-hmm. is a lot of times what we think, right? He's probably a teenager mm-hmm. because the you know, the next chapter, Sarah's going to die. And then the very next chapter, Isaac finds a wife, yeah, Rebecca, right? So, yeah. um, he's probably somewhere in that age range, 13 to 20 years old. And so he's going willingly,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but he does have questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the lamb, okay. <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, and so I don't know if you noticed this, but there there's two separate uh, phrases where it says that they the fa- that they went together.
1: Mm.
0: So and then they went together, uh, the father and the son are going together. Mm. So let's stay with this christological interpretation of this. Um, the father and the son go together, and when you think about Jesus walking up to Golgotha with the wood on his back, I think that one of the things you can glean from this story is that the father's walking with him. Mm -hmm. And so on the way up to Golgotha, the father and the son go together, Mm -hmm. just like the father and the son go together here. And before we get to the cross, at the end of Jesus' ministry with his disciples, he makes it very, very clear the unity of him, Jesus, Yeah. And, and the father mm-hmm. and he says things in John, like I and the father are one. right? And so I think that, you know, when we look at, when we think about that passage, like when we get to Easter time and we think about Jesus carrying the cross bloody and tortured mm-hmm. up to Golgotha, that the, the father and the son go together
2: mm-hmm. just
0: like here, right? The father and the son walk together. And so even the Christology of that kind of depth and detail is happening in this story. Mm -hmm. So then let's read a little bit of a bigger section, uh, nine through 14.
1: When they reached the place God had told him about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Hmm. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided.
0: So you see at the beginning of this passage the emphasis again on wood. Hmm which is why I don't think it's overly creative interpretation, right? <laughs> he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on top of the wood. You know, this, this idea keeps happening. And so, uh, you know, we, we've talked about wood all the way back to Genesis because the Garden of Eden is a garden full of trees. Yeah, And then when God delivers a new creation from the ruined creation in Genesis 6, 7, and 8, uh, Noah's on a boat, yeah. an ark, That's made of wood. Yeah. Right? So uh, under, you know, under the tree is protection and salvation, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: right? It's That's that's what trees can do, especially in the Middle Eastern sun. And so the emphasis on wood here is pointing forward to the cross. What does the cross do for Mm us? It provides protection and salvation to us. It's like the trees in the garden and the oaks of Mamre and the wood that Isaac thinks he's about to, sacrifice his, his son on mm-hmm. for the salvation of the world. And then the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham and Abraham says the same thing he said before. What's he say? Here I am. Here I am, because that's how you answer God, mm-hmm. right? When God calls you, you say, here I am, before you know what he's gonna ask you to do. And so, so far, uh, we talked about this when we talked about the, like um, the way that God appears. To people in the Old Testament mm-hmm. right that that going forward we're going to see the angel of the Lord appear mm-hmm. and that we actually believe that the angel of the Lord is Jesus yeah it's Christ yeah pre-incarnate son of the Father uh and so uh he's only appeared so far twice
2: mm-hmm.
0: and both times the Angel of the Lord has appeared so far it's it's been for Ishmael mm. so Genesis 16 and Genesis 21. And so remember, like you read the Bible as a story and you connect these symbols together in the narrative. And so the first time in Genesis 16, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar, who's pregnant with Ishmael and dying in the wilderness, trying to go back to Egypt and tells her to go back to Abraham and Sarah and receive the blessings of Mm -hmm. the covenant. Mm -hmm. And so the angel of the Lord appears and uh, preserves Ishmael. Yeah. Then in Genesis 21, Uh, Hagar and Ishmael are starving and dying in the desert again. And the angel of the Lord appears again and Ishmael is preserved. Mm -hmm. So there's something about the angel of the Lord and the preservation
2: Mm.
0: of those people, of the people of God. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, the angel of the Lord appears here. And if you connect these stories together, uh, then, then just like God preserved Ishmael, he's going to preserve Isaac. Mm Mm-hmm. And the Bible really does make those kinds of connections. Absolutely. This is why Tim Mackey calls them literary ninjas. Yeah. Because you don't, you're not going to see this off, off the rip when you're reading it, but this, yeah. is, those words are connecting. Those stories are all connecting here. And so mm-hmm. the angel of the Lord appears, which means that the preservation of God's chosen one is about to happen. And so God says, don't kill your son.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He says, you obviously fear the Lord.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think because you're not withholding your son. I don't necessarily think that means like, uh, you know, God's asking you for something impossible. And so you you give it. And that's why God knows that you fear him. Remember that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: So remember what we just talked about. We think that Abraham thinks that Isaac's gonna be sacrificed for the world and raised from the dead. Well, the reason that that's wisdom is because that's true, mm. just not of Isaac. Yeah. Isaac is, this. this story is a type. Of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So when when God says, you know, you obviously fear the Lord for you you have not withheld your son from me. I think part of what He's saying is not just that it's blind obedience, but part of what He's saying is that you understand,
1: mm.
0: you're seeing with my eyes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're not taking the fruit for yourself,
1: which is wisdom.
0: Just wisdom. Mm. And so God says, but that's not how this is going to go. Mm-hmm. As Christians, we know that what God means here is He says it's going to be my son. Who dies for for the world and is raised, mm-hmm. but here in this moment he provides a substitute. And so I think it was in this right that that yeah, yeah there's a ram. a
1: ram that's caught in the thicket.
0: So what's so so? Let me ask you a question, Jackie. What's a thicket?
1: It's a, it's like a like a bush with like thorns and stuff, right? Yeah. Like a really thick bush.
0: I think so. I that, think okay. So so a ram is caught in the thorns and thistles.
1: Uh-huh. Thistles, that's good.
0: You remember <laughs> another story about thorns and thistles backwards, like all the way back in Genesis 3? Mm. You know, one of the curses that's brought about is that...
1: It, is that it would be hard to hard to work the ground?
0: Yeah, yeah, because there's going to be thorns and thistles. Yeah, okay, yeah. So thorns and thistles, according to biblical symbology, is a uh, a symbol of the curse.
1: Like a result. Of the fall,
0: yeah. Okay, and so here, an animal is caught in the thorn. He's caught in the curse. He's caught in in what sin brings about. Uh, and so, um, uh, what, one of one of the the things that that uh, I think we have to see here is that that idea of the thorns and the thistles trapping the sacrifice Mm -hmm. is goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, Mm. right? The thorns and the thistles are the product of sin, at least symbolically. And here is the sacrifice who's caught in the sin. Mm. He's caught in the thorns and the thistles. You go all the way forward to Jesus dying on the cross. What does Jesus have on his head when he dies on the cross?
1: Crown of thorns.
0: Thorns and thistles. Mm. The true sacrifice caught in thorns and thistles. And so he becomes a sacrificial offering for the world there. And so again, look at that parallel, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. Yeah, Like this is beautiful. This is part of the beauty of reading the Bible. So the Ram is a substitute for Abraham's son. And going forward, what we're gonna see is that the sacrificial system of Israel is gonna codify this. And so there's all kinds of coded sacrifices that are to a degree substitutionary. Like we talked about earlier, sin brings death and it should bring death upon the sinner. But because of God's grace, the sacrificial system takes an animal, and that life of the animal covers the consequences of sin, uh, instead of your life. Mm-hmm. And here is the 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 prototype of that. Right? Instead of the life of a human that sin brings about dying, here is an animal caught in in the 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 thorns and the thistles mm-hmm. who's who's going to be sacrificed instead. Um, when Jesus who's caught in the thorns is sacrificed, this is a once and for all sacrifice. Yeah. So the reason that we don't do animal sacrifice anymore is not because animal sacrifice is cruel and uh, backwards and something that only the archaic people who were stupid did. It's because if you and I sacrificed animals, we would be denying the sacrifice of Jesus, Yeah. right? So people don't, you know, because people love animals. And I understand that they don't really love to hear that theological reasoning they want it to be like we've become enlightened Mm -hmm. but no our sin still brings death right and so if not for christ there would have if we wanted to live in the presence of god there would have to be some kind of of substitution right and the reason we don't practice animal sacrifice the reason that part of the law has been fulfilled is because if we continued to spill the blood of animals to cover our sins we would in effect be saying that jesus's blood does not cover our sins
1: yeah like we need something more
0: right but here's the precursor mm-hmm. to the sacrificial system that Jesus will uh, fulfill, which is kind of cool because you see the parallels. So like what Abraham thought Isaac was gonna be actually becomes the prototype for the sacrificial system. And mm-hmm. at some point the sacrificial system is shadowing what will ultimately become of Jesus. Yeah. Right. Um, so then they call this place, the Lord will provide,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Um, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble with this because we sing songs like Jehovah Jireh and stuff, and stuff yeah. like that. Right. Which is what this, which is what this says. Um, one way, you know, one, one interpretation of this and, and that word I think more woodenly means that the Lord will see mm. the Lord will see to it. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. So like, if you're going to, if, uh, if you say, you know, I don't have any food, I need food. And someone comes to you and says, I'll provide you food. It's the same thing as saying, I'll see to it that you have food. Yeah. Right. So there's this, again, this idea of, of vision. And, yeah. um, when we go back to Ishmael, who's important because the angel of the Lord, that parallel that we talked about, um, God appears and, and Sarah says that God sees me, or sorry, uh, uh, Hagar says God sees me. Yeah. Right. And so um, she, she names the well, the well of the living one who sees me, beer, lahai, Roy. Mm. So God saw Ishmael and provided. He gave him water and blessing here. God sees Isaac and provides. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so then what are the blessings? Mm-hmm. What are the blessings that are going to be given to, to Abraham and Isaac? Let's do 15 through 19. Mm.
1: The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba.
0: Yeah, so the angel of the Lord is here again. And he speaks again, and so our understanding of this is that this is Yahweh.
1: Yeah, because he says, "I swear by myself," declares the Lord. He said earlier, too. By the way, I know that you fear the Lord because you have not withheld me. Yes, your son. But yeah. Me.
0: And so sometimes people will say, "Well, the angel is speaking on behalf of God." And it's mm-hmm. like, "Well, it doesn't say that."
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. And yeah. I I think that in fact it kind of explicitly doesn't say that. Yeah. So this is this is God. And and more specifically, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This mm-hmm. is the son. This is Christ before the incarnation. Uh, and the, the second person of the Trinity, he uses the same language of covenant blessing that's mm-hmm. been used before with Abraham. I'll bless you. I'll make your seed numerous. You'll possess the land. The nations will be blessed through you. Why? Because you obeyed. Because you obeyed. Yeah. So not because you said a prayer, not because you thought something in your head, not because you correctly answered a true false question, mm. but because you obeyed me, mm-hmm. because you trust me. You know, we're saved by faith. The covenant blessings come through covenant obedience. Absolutely. You know, um, uh, all that's going to happen to, to affect our salvation is only something God himself can do. Right. So we've talked about this before, but the idea that we can save ourselves through our works is an absurdity. Yeah because the story of the Bible is going to show that it is just the action of God in the world that saves us. But there's blessings to walking with God. Absolutely. And there is no covenant blessings without covenant obedience.
1: Correct. God can lay out and say, this is what is good for you. Yeah. And you can say, I want to follow that. Mm -hmm. And it will be good for you. Yeah. But you can say, I don't want to follow that. And God will say that's not in your best interest and it won't be. It's always how it works.
0: There are there are people in you know the new covenant relationship with God who believe that Jesus is Lord,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who in many aspects of their life live faithfully to him. And yet in the aspects of our lives where we don't, a lot of times we bring hell into our lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's not because God's mean. Yeah. That's because the blessings of a life with God, and I don't mean blessings like money and power and the way that we typically think about blessings. Right. I mean true blessings. Yeah. Uh, intimacy with God, mm-hmm. peace and shalom, wholeness. Mm-hmm. Th- those kinds of blessings come from obedience, walking with him, doing what he says, putting him on, wearing him, yeah. and living that out in, in this world. That's That's been the case all the way back here in Genesis. That's the case today. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about this distinction between saved by faith and saved by works, like the thing that we really wanna do and people struggle with this is we want to say, okay, then works don't matter.
1: Right. Well,
0: they matter because they prove that I'm saved by, by, it's like, no, they matter because that's the purpose of your life. Yeah. The purpose of your life is to walk with God. And so uh, the, the blessings of the covenant only are affected into your life when you walk with him. Mm-hmm. And in those parts of your life where you're not, and we all have those parts, well, the blessings of God are typically withheld from yeah. us, right? We we find chaos and disorder and dysfunction right. and fracture in those areas of our lives because that's the 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 covenant blessings come through obedience.
1: And this is not something we've just thought up. I mean, the New Testament will talk about this extensively yeah. for that reason. So Paul people, Paul loves to harp on this.
0: He does. And people ignore James. Oh yeah. Because James is like, Well, yes, you're you're saved by faith, but like, you know, faith without works is dead. Yeah. And everyone's kind of like, oh, I don't really know what that means. But, you know, James is just kind of like intense about that stuff. It's like, no, no, that's, that's, you he's, know. Yeah. It's the head of the church of Jerusalem at yeah. the time. That's Jesus' brother. Like, you know, he he's, he he's knows saying he's talking something about. Yeah. that matters. And so uh, your faithfulness does not just bless you. Your faithfulness also blesses the world. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. the nations are going to be blessed because of the obedience of Abraham. Mm. And that is also true of us today. hmm that part of our mission as the church is to be faithful to God, not just so that we receive the blessings, but so that we can effectively distribute the blessings to the world. Yeah, When, when the church is faithful to God, the world is blessed
2: mm-hmm.
0: no matter the circumstance. If, if, if it's in persecution or if it's in times of prosperity, when the church is faithful to God, the world is blessed. And that's right here in the very beginning of the covenant, right? Mm. That the nations are going to be blessed because you were obedient to me. So Abraham goes back to Beersheba, which is the land of the Philistines. That was that well. Remember the well of seven lambs?
2: Yeah.
0: And so, uh, you know, it's not not really like a permanent exodus, but he was mm-hmm. came out of Egypt to the promised land, had this encounter with God. He comes back into the land of Egypt. And uh, then we end with what seems kind of random. This, is, this happens a lot, yeah. This is uh, a, <laughs> what I'll call a random genealogy. Okay. <laughs> we
1: love those here in so, Genesis. So
0: think about this. The most explicitly Christological moment of the Old Testament yeah. has just happened. And now this is the next verse, 20 through 24.
1: Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has born sons to your brother Nahor, as the firstborn, Buzz his brother, Kamul the father of Aram, Kassed. Hazo, Phil Dash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milka bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor, his concubine, whose name was Gaham, Tahash, and Mekah.
0: There you go. Good There we go. Okay. I, I tricked you with that one. You didn't know there was going to be those names. Crazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
1: Crazy to be us the firstborn and have a brother named Buzz, by the way. <laughs> I just want to say.
0: I always, whenever I think of Buzz, I think of Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's brother, Buzz. Uh, I think maybe in Hebrew, it's ooze and booze, but I'm not going to. Uh, it's fine. Whatever. Booze is also that's, kind of funny. That's so, equally yeah. funny
1: to be named ooze and booze. <laughs> it's actually maybe more funny.
0: <laughs> okay. So another genealogy, if you thought you're that we were done with these will never to, be done. Sorry it's to burst your bubble. These will continue to pop up and they always mean something. Yeah. So the promise to Abraham is that he will multiply generations. The stars of the heaven, the sands of the seashore, all of that is going to become the family of Abraham. Well, where are they? Right. How so, many sons does he got have? One son, essentially. <laughs> Basically has one right now, right? But look at, this is his brother. How many sons does his brother have?
1: Well, he's got a lot. He's got what, 12?
0: He's got 12 sons.
1: Mm.
0: So... In Galatians 3.16, Paul's going
2: to
0: say, now now remember, Paul was a rabbi. Mm-hmm. So Paul knows the scriptures better than we do. Almost everything he says is either an allusion to or quotation of, or uh, um, an expounding of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. right? And so uh, Paul says in Galatians 3.16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Scripture does not say to his seeds,
2: mm-hmm.
0: meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. Mm. (laughs) So Paul looks at this story and he says, well, you know, in the old Testament, um, it says that, that, you know, the promises of the world are going to go through a single seed. Mm -hmm. And so I think that what this is saying is that redemptive history is going to bear out that the the singular seed is ultimately Jesus Christ. But we keep talking about these foreshadowings. Yeah, We keep talking about these dress rehearsals. Mm -hmm. So you said Chad Bird calls it. And Abraham having only one son at this time, one true seed is a foreshadowing of what's going to come through Christ.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? Now, you would think uh, if, if we ran the world, if I wanted to say Abraham's going to have a bunch of offspring, then I'd give him 12 sons. Give him a bunch of offspring. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Give him a bunch of offspring. Uh, but, but what God is doing, he's not just working mysteriously.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's not just testing the faith. He is showing something.
1: Yeah, it's, okay. Have you ever seen Interstellar? And they do yes. that famous like depiction of a wormhole with that piece of paper yeah, where yeah, yeah. they drop two points and they're on opposite sides of the paper. They're really far away and they fold the paper and stick a pencil through. They're like, that's how a wormhole mm-hmm. works. It's like actually like pretty accurate. They've said in yeah. terms of like describing wormholes. Interesting. It's almost like this is what's being done throughout the Bible. And for us, it's really easy to see because we know the story, yeah. right? So we know Christ is coming. right? But for Abraham, We have no idea. I mean, so when we talk about his faith in times like this and understanding promises like this, Mm -hmm. he's really distant in terms of like our perception of time. Right. From something like the incarnation of Christ. Right. Right. But here we are and we're weaving it through because we can kind of bend and and weave the, the fabric of the scriptures to be able to, to point those out together. And so what God's doing is really cool.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, it's like God communicates through the story. Yeah. Not just in the specific words and commandments, but through the narrative structure of of those scriptures that that He's for sure. divinely ordained for us to have. And so the the, the seed that saves the world will be singular. Mm. Jesus Christ. So what is this? genealogy where basically Abraham has one son who's the (laughs) promised seed and his brother, even as we've never even heard of his brother yet.
1: Yeah. Who's this guy,
0: but his brother's got 12 sons. What is this showing us? Well, it's showing us that yes, the seed goes through one Mm. all the way to the end that the seed will be one. And that is like, like foreshadowed here.
1: It reminds me of what we've touched on before in that, like, just because you have a lot of things or because you have maybe a lot of sons Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that's how God's going to work.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: We see this with David down the line, but we've seen this before.
0: Yeah, for sure. So then the other reason I think this passage, maybe the more uh, surface reason for this passage is because who's mentioned here, Hmm. Rebecca. Yeah. Right. And Rebecca is going to be very important going forward because that's going to become Isaac's wife. Mm -hmm. And so none of this stuff is ever random. Mm -hmm. Right. That's uh, part of the purpose of this podcast is like, I don't expect somebody to just read this and pick up all that. Right. right? It's hard to understand that it takes a specific level of, 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 uh, of nerdiness. (laughs) I was, (laughs) I, I had this cat, this catalog from, uh, uh, it's like an Eastern Orthodox, catalog and we are not Eastern Orthodox, but I do think that some of the way that they look at theology is like really, really interesting. Yeah. and They have some brilliant minds. It's a different perspective. So I had this catalog and I'm, and I'm reading this catalog and my wife, Jen, is like, what are you reading? And I was like, oh, it's a catalog from St. <laughs> Vincent's.
1: Like embarrassed to Folk say it. Press. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
0: And, uh, and she was like, oh, "Okay," okay. And, and she comes back later. She's like, are you circling the things you want like a child? <laughs> and, like I, Christmas and I uh, looked at her in the eyes and I said, Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I am.
0: And she was like, You are such a dork. <laughs> and it's true. Like it, you know, there's a there, it takes a specific amount of time and intentionality to uncover this stuff, but it's all there. Yeah. All the stuff we're talking about with the seed, with with wood, with thorns and thistles, with Jesus Christ, with the 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 lamb, with the crown of all that stuff, it's all connected. It's all here. And that includes genealogies too, right? The singular C mm-hmm. is foreshadowed in this genealogy, and uh, Rebecca.
1: Every time we've dived into something that seems meaningless, it ends up being really cool. Ends
0: up being meaningful. Um, and so, uh, next chapter is the uh, the death of Sarah, and then after that, we'll get into the, to mm-hmm. the life of Isaac. Uh, but that's Genesis 22.
2: Yeah.
0: So one of the most important stories in, in the Old Testament because of how explicitly Christological it is. And hopefully we we did an okay job of highlighting mm-hmm. those different uh, strands of Christology that point to Jesus. The way that I want to wrap this up today and we'll get out of here is I just want to talk specifically for a moment about human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So uh, unfortunately, people, including biblical scholars who who may not be faithful Christians, they look at the story and they act like, and they teach as if this story shows that God wills Abraham to kill his son. Mm. Like, I can't believe that God would ask Abraham to do that because that means that God wants that. Mm. So, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm really not trying to be um, combative here. But I think that that's not just like a lazy way to read it. I think that's kind of like a unintelligent way to read mm. this story. I think that this story is actually saying the exact opposite of that. Mm. So all the things that we look at and bristle at when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, I believe that actually what this story is showing is the opposite of what makes us uncomfortable about that, mm-hmm. which is the grace and the mercy of God and what God actually desires. God does not desire human sacrifice. Mm. Part of the point of the story is that some of those other gods they do. Yeah. Yahweh does not. Mm-hmm. So human sacrifice happened in the ancient world. And and it and because of people's relationships with their gods it actually makes sense. If you want God to if you you know you're almost like trying to bribe God with sacrifices, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you want your crops to come in and there's a drought, you start sacrificing things that become more and more important to you. Yeah. Because you're trying to show God how that you want to please important
1: him. it is, yeah.
0: So where down the line might that eventually lead to
1: hmm.
0: sacrifice of your child,
1: yeah,
0: right? And and this is this is true in in the ancient Near East. This is true in ancient Mesoamerica. This is what they found when you know when the Spanish came and they saw the Aztecs doing human sacrifice and all this stuff. Uh, you sacrifice what is important because you want to please you want to please God. So sacrifice a child is just sort of the logical inevitability of a relationship with a God where you're basically bribing him. Yeah. So in the Bible, that's not what God desires Mm -hmm. and it's not what he commands. Mm -hmm. In fact, he gives an entire sacrificial system, which again, we look at and we don't like to read about it because it seems strange to us and it seems boring to us. But part of the whole point of the sacrificial system is that God does not desire our death. Whether that's just the natural death that sin brings upon us, or if that's something like sacrificing your child, that's yeah. not what he wants. So he gives this whole system of how to sacrifice animals instead.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and so um, you know, th- this is this is basically exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. God does not desire human sacrifice. Um, when we get to um, some of the the discussions from the prophets about why they get exiled. They, they talk about how, well, you know, the Hebrew people were down in the, the valley that we call Gehenna, sacrificing children like the pagans. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason the, the prophets say that there's an exile is because the people of God themselves at times picked up this pagan practice and were sacrificing their kids. Mm-hmm. There's a story in Judges, where one of the judges comes, Jephthah comes back from his his battle and sacrifices his daughter as a thank you to God. Well, that's not a story that says God desires that. That's a story that says that that man is not a man of God, mm. that the nation of Israel is crumbling in the book of Judges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a picture of it. So that one of the chief sins of the Old Testament is the sacrifice of children. It's mm-hmm. not what God desires. The whole story shows that. And this story explicitly shows that, which is why I get frustrated yeah. sometimes when I hear people say, well, I don't know, God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. It's like, no, he didn't. <laughs> he told him not to sacrifice his yeah. son. Like you have to read the story and understand what is, is going on here. And the reason that Abraham goes and does it is because he actually has the correct picture of redemption in his head. Yeah,
1: absolutely. He thinks
0: Isaac's going to be the sacrifice to the world and then he's going to be raised from the dead. Well, that's what actually happens with Jesus. So mm-hmm. Abraham is correct in that. He's yeah. just before his time. Mm-hmm. And so God provides a substitute and then the whole sacrificial system ends up being based on that substitute. And and we know that to be true as Bible believing Christians because Hebrews says that. Yeah, The book of Hebrews says that. That's not just me making something up, right? So the point as we wrap up is that no, God does not desire human sacrifice. In fact, that's gonna become one of the examples of the chief sins of Israel that mm-hmm. lead to their exile, that lead to their separation from God. Uh, and, and it's going to be used as, as an example of how wicked the pagans are. How do you know they're wicked? Well, they sacrifice their children. Yeah. It's pretty wicked, right? The, the, the valley that Jesus refers to as hell, Gehenna, is the valley where people sacrifice their mm-hmm. children, right? So um, any reading of this story, I'm sorry, any reading of the story that comes to the conclusion that God might actually want that because mm-hmm. look, he told Abraham to sacrifice his son is a very unintelligent reading of the story.
1: And and to believe that would to be to ignore how much God has been working towards human flourishing. <laughs> yes. Right? Like that's all he's been doing despite us. Right. So here are the other pagans in in the other cultures surrounding this area, worshiping their... God's that they believe they have to bribe in order to do something that's beneficial to them, yeah. right? They're like, if I just do enough stuff, maybe God will give us something that's good for our flourishing. God's given Abraham and his his family and his his descendants and also the people before him good things when they haven't seemingly done anything. Right. You know?
0: And it's interesting, you know, we started with this idea of believing that about God. Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe that about God? That's yeah. kind of like the the foundation of biblical faith. You believe he's good. And a lot of times when people read these stories and come with these questions, it's not bad to have those questions, but you do have to acknowledge that part of the reason that you come to that conclusion is specifically because you don't believe that God is good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That you have you you've kind of jumped to this conclusion that even though you read the story, you see the exact opposite that somehow some way God really did tell Abraham to sacrifice his son, right? Which I know that he did say those words, but the story shows you that he explicitly told him not to. Yeah. And so these kind of presuppositions that we have about God, they color the way that we think about these stories and the way that we interpret these stories. And so hopefully, you know, a lot going on here. I know there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of connecting the dots. We're going all the way forward to Jesus, but hopefully this story of the non-sacrifice of Isaac shows uh, the significance of why this is such an important story in the Bible yeah. on Mount Moriah, where the presence of God is gonna is gonna happen um, and uh, a symbol and a precursor to what we're gonna see in Christ caught in the thorns and thistles as the actual sacrifice to the world raised from the dead. It's mm-hmm. like Abraham thought here. It's really yeah. cool. Very cool. Okay. Well, anything else, Jackie, today?
1: That's all I've
0: got. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us and we will see you next week on Story Simple Spirit.